Welcome to the Greater Possibilities Podcast, where we put concerns into context and opportunities into focus. I'm Brian Levitt. And I'm Jody Phillips. And today we have Matt Brill, head of North American Investment Grade Credit. So we're talking bonds today, Brian. <laughs> Are you already hearing it, Jody? After last year, we're already hearing people call this a golden age for bonds. I have. I have heard that. It's uh, quite a welcome perspective after last year and the rough go that both stocks and bonds experienced together. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure investors could have done without that sell-off last year. And then they're, you know, they're, they're even calling that now the death of the 60-40, right? Such hyperbole in our industry, right? Oh, yeah, that was the refrain, right? Diversification isn't working. Uh, but that quite, that's quite a down so far this year, though, right? Yeah, I would say the reports of the death are greatly exaggerated of the 60-40 portfolio. A Mark Twain reference, Brian. That's, yeah, we're that's going literary. Your usual, that's your usual 80s lyrics, putting that aside <laughs> for a minute. Um, all right, I, I will say, though, fun fact, that quote was reportedly a little exaggerated itself. Oh. Uh, yeah, no, no, he actually said the report of my death was an exaggeration. Oh, so they embellished it. A little bit, a little bit. Uh, and I fell for it. You did, but that's all right. That's what I'm here for. I guess a sucker is born every minute, huh? Okay, so P.T. Barnum, uh, another fun fact. There's no evidence he said that either, Brian. Oh, God. Jody, I give I'm up, sorry. and, and this sorry. is this is what I get for having an editor as a co-host. On that's the, right, on the that's right. You're, you're in charge of the numbers. I'm in charge of the words. That's how you, we split you keep up me the honest. Every, around here. Every quote I say never, was never said. <laughs> nope, nope, not at all. But all right, all right. Back to our topic, though. I could do this all day, but tell me, why could this be a golden age for bonds, Brian? Well, we'll have Matt talk to us about it, but you know, yield for the first time in a long time certainly yep. feels nice. I know my father appreciates it, and <laughs> and and maybe even return opportunities, right? Total return opportunities if and when I'm going to say when interest rates go down, not if and when. But again, we'll we'll ask Matt his opinion on that. Yeah, I mean, it feels like that's already started to happen, right? Yeah, well, certainly a bit. Um, at least, I mean, just think of 10-year treasuries. I know people use that as the benchmark, certainly off their highs. But you know, borrowing costs for corporations are significantly higher than where they were a year ago. And I guess that's what happens when you get a lot of policy tightening in a very short period of time. It creates concerns that the economy could roll over. That's right. But as you always like to remind us, Brian, the market leads the economy. So has the corporate bond market already priced the worst of it? Yeah, perhaps. Although, again, well, I, I keep saying it. This is why Matt's here. I mean, we, <laughs> I love having him on. And because we'll, we'll talk to him about so many things. We're going to talk about the Fed. We're going to talk about the path of rates, recession concerns, opportunities in corporate bonds or other parts of the bond market, and how to, how to structure a fixed income portfolio. If, if 60 40 is not dead, well, then what does the 40 look like? Excellent question. Yes, that's a ton to go over. So let's not delay any more. Welcome, Matt. Appreciate uh, you joining us today. Thanks, Jody. Thanks, Brian. Good to be here. It's good to have you here. What What's the bond market telling you? I mean, we've we've now heard from the Fed. We're, you know, probably past peak hawkishness. Uh, what's What's the Fed? What's the bond market telling you? Yes, I think the first thing the bond market is telling you is that that the Fed is going to win this battle versus inflation. Um, yeah, exactly. can we can we stop and celebrate? <laughs> Shortest not, podcast ever. It, it's it's not done. It's not done yet. You know that's the thing. But they're going to win. The Fed is going to win, um, and with that, eventually, 
rates are going to go lower. And whether we go back to the the really low rate era that we had for so long, you know, it's debatable. But um, is this persistent inflation uh, will get will get stomped out of the economy, and the Fed's going to win, and that's what the bond market's telling you. Can we call it transitory? Is that back now? Was it, was it always transitory or the Fed having to stomp it out means it wasn't transitory? I, I think we don't want to use that word. It just, okay, it, we're it, done. It, it, it kind of, you know, it, it has a really bad uh, connotation to it. And, and it, it, you know, it could be a three-year transitory thing. I don't know. But it's uh, at the end of the day, the Fed had to, do, it had to act. So it would, this would not have occurred without the Fed's action. So if, if that's the definition of transitory, then it certainly was not transitory because the Fed had to do something. It wasn't going to, uh, the fire wasn't going to put itself out, essentially. Um, and they've, uh, they've raised about 450 basis points at this point. And um, they did that in basically a, pretty much a year. Um, so one of the fastest or the fastest hiking cycles that we've seen um, in recent times. And that uh, that was needed. And I think the, the Fed got on got on board a little late, but but really once they, they started to really through last summer, kind of continued to tell you that they were going higher and higher, we, we all of a sudden realized, hey, they're, they're not gonna stop till they win this. And even in the the, the the, com- the, the comments that you're going to hear from, from all the Fed members, they're going to tell you they still have more work to do. Um, but that's only because they don't want to declare victory too soon. So we're not saying it's over, but we are going to say that they're going to win. So, Jody, Jay Powell is now singing all, all I do is win, 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 no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> I would love I would love to see the video feed of that if that's indeed what's going on. Uh, but, you know, Matt, are there concerns then that the Fed's going to over tighten and take it a little bit too far? Well, that's that's the new the new shift or the new focus in our opinion is 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 stop looking backwards at the inflation because that will be solved. Now you need to start focusing on whether or not the, the Fed is going to take it too far and drive us straight into a recession. But our, our general view is that the Fed can engineer the soft landing and the runway for the soft landing keeps getting wider and wider because the labor market is still good, maybe not as good as it once was before, because you're seeing some layoffs in the financial sector, you're seeing layoffs in the technology world. Um, but the general kind of what I would call kind of the mainstream America economy is still yet to see those um, those layoffs. Um, so just in general, it feels like the, the labor market is loosening up a little bit um, at the same time that inflation is coming down, uh, which gives us the chance that they're not going to put us straight into recession. But if the Fed stays at a high level for too long, then, then that's the bigger concern. And I think um, you know, if you're just looking at inflation, you're missing the story here. You need to start focusing on the, the slowing of the overall economy. I'll mix the metaphor here and say that the porridge is tasting just about right about now. And, 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 and I, maybe I'll go on and say, you know, I guess when the, we make hay when the sun shines, right? So uh, I'm mixing a whole bunch of metaphors here. But so, Matt, um, when I think, they, I, I'll tell you the, the biggest question I'm getting from people is, or among the biggest questions is when I look at the yield curve, why does it make any sense to move out beyond short rates or just take the bird in the hand you're getting four four and a quarter at the short end of the curve why why even think about going longer yeah so we get that question a lot and a lot of people are just in t-bills rolling them along and they're saying look i might i'm not going to get fired by my client for getting them four and a half percent um but i'd argue that you're not really looking forward to their future either you're not protecting for what we describe as reinvestment risk and that, that that's the term we keep throwing out in 2023 over and over and over is reinvestment risk and that tells you that yes you might have a three month t-bill or possibly a, a year-long treasury 
But what are what is that going to be yielding by the time that that comes due? And what are you going to be rolling that into at that time? And a lot of people say, well, I'll take my chances when I get there. But that's <laughs> not really the, the way that you're supposed to be thinking about uh, your finances, right? You're supposed to be locking in these yields at these elevated levels for longer and planning ahead. Um, you mentioned uh, you know your, your dad earlier that your, your dad's excited to get fixed income. You know, I go back to the to the eighties um, and I look at the charts. I was born in the seventies, for the record, but uh, I look at Me the too. charts Me and too. Um, and um, I look at the charts and you can see that in nineteen eighty, Fed funds was basically around I think it was around eighteen percent, and the thirty year Treasury was around twelve percent. So at that time, you could have bought a, a front end T bill for eighteen percent, or you could have bought a thirty year Treasury at a very inverted curve. Um, I hear stories all the time of the grandparents back at that time that bought 30-year treasuries for their kids they or the grandkids, and they locked it in for a long time, and they were the geniuses. I have never heard ever of a grandmother buying a three-month T-bill at 18% <laughs> and how smart that grandmother was. Because what, guess what happened? In three months or six months, whenever that, that T-bill came due, they had to roll it into something else that yielded a lot less by that time because Volcker had got an inflation under control. So while we're not at those extremes, I certainly point out to people that when you think rates are attractive. If you think four and a half percent is attractive, why are you not willing to take it for five years? Why do you only want to get it for three months? And as we're seeing already, as rates are coming down lower um, in a year or six months, we do think yields will be lower than they are today. I'm just trying to picture you at like three years old trading bonds, but you, <laughs> you, you tell us you're, you're looking at the charts now. You weren't doing it back then. I, 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 you know, I had uh, I had a solid uh, about 40 days, actually. That, that's it, Brian. But it was, just, it was a very, very short period of time in the 70s. <laughs> So Matt, you heard at the top of the show that we don't always have the best of luck accurately remembering uh, famous quotes or, you know, being able to quote people word for word. But one thing Brian always likes to reference, um, and we'll see if I get it right, uh, get the credit cycle right and all else will take care of itself. Is that right, Brian? Did I get yeah, that? Yeah, that, that sounds right. I'm, nice. See, I'm not going to pick nits the way you do and, <laughs> and, and tell you that you got the quote wrong. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. So, so then Matt, given that, where are we in the credit cycle? So we're, we're sort of in the early stages of the credit cycle, actually. So when we think about like the, what happens at the late stages of a credit cycle are that companies do silly things like they overlever their balance sheet. They buy back a lot of stock. Um, they might even make a large acquisition with, that's debt funded. Um, and then when you get kind of the, the, the fixing or the, the reset of the economy and you get through the, through, through the really good times, then you start to have uh, the negative times. They start to say, oh, well, I probably shouldn't have spent my money on that. Probably shouldn't have done that. And they really tighten their belts. And that sort of come, sometimes creates a, an additional um, you know, feedback loop of, of the economy uh, going into recession. And what we're seeing now is that you know, you're, you're at this point where, where corporations have said, we, we just went through this really strange um, pandemic. Uh, we, we, we survived it. We do think that the Fed is going to make this economy worse. And so they're, they're simply saying, we're just going to preserve our, our balance sheet. We're going to actually you know, do everything possible um, to, to prepare for this really bad period of time coming. And, and that, they're, they're ready for it. So I, I kind of feel like they can survive this fairly well. And if and when we get through this shallowish recession or soft landing, then we're going to kind of really start the, the new era of the credit cycle. So I sort of feel like we're kind of at the end of the of the, the belt tightening, the end of the, um, you know, the, the, the really bad period of time for for earnings. And you're going to see earnings fall off here for sure. But um, I, I would just say that I don't see corporations doing silly things that are that are they're notorious for doing at the end of the credit cycle so it's it's a weird weird time for us right now but at the biggest point i'd like to make is that companies are not going to be surprised 
by a slowing economy. So they're prepared for it. This isn't like the pandemic that came out of nowhere that they really could have not have been um, forecasting. Corporations are all hearing that there's going to be a recession coming. And I would say this is the most forecasted recession that we've ever had. Um, so if you're not ready for it as a corporation, you're not doing your job. So let's get, let's say we go into the shallow, as as Lady Gaga might say, right? You said the shallow-ish recession. Um, is the bond, is the credit market price for that? You know, if you're looking at a five six percent in investment grade corporate, eight nine percent in riskier credit, is that priced for a recession already? So we just look at yields, it is. So if you look at yields, uh, you're saying that these are elevated yields that are punitive to corporations and you're getting paid to take on risk. Now, that being said, um, treasuries are also elevated. And so the credit spreads or the difference between um, or the, the premium you have to get paid to buy something other than treasury are actually not really pricing in a recession. So they're really just kind of in the middle of the pack. So you can possibly buy just treasuries or you can buy corporate bonds that get that additional spread. So we, we, we look at um, credit spreads and they're kind of around 110 to 125, depending on which metric you look at. And a recession is more like 150 to 200. Um, so we're not. And that's investment grade. And it's investment grade. And if you yeah. look at high yield, they're around low 400s. Um, a recession might be 600 or 700. They don't tend to stay there very long because if you're yielding 700 basis points over treasuries, you're probably not going to either be in business very long or <laughs> or or you're going to need to have the economy um, you know, rebound quite quickly. And, and people realize then realize that there's value and they're not going to stay at those levels. So um, at the 400 and the, and the 150 or excuse me, 125 ish range that you're at on, on credit spreads, um, you're 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 in the middle of the pack. But it's what it's telling you is that corporations can weather this. And I think it's that's kind of the key point here is that um, the yields are attractive. Technicals are going to continue to be very good because we feel like there's going to be a lot of money flowing into the asset class. And fundamentals should not be that poor because even though they're borrowing at higher rates, um, most companies aren't borrowing really at all. Um, you know, if they have to borrow, then they're borrowing at higher rates, but they, they have a fixed uh, debt that they have. They borrowed a fixed term. Um, and a lot of them have buy, borrowed back in 2020 and 2021 at kind of 2%, 3%. Um, and now that rates are four, five, six percent, they're just saying pass. No reason to, no reason to borrow. We'll use our excess cash. Um, we'll maybe slow our dividend payments, things like that, in order to uh, not have to borrow um, at a at a at a higher debt level. All right. So Matt, you had mentioned, um, you know, high yield spreads for a little bit. You know, and obviously you're the head of investment grade. Do you are you willing or able to reach into the high yield bond market? Yeah. So we we do like pockets of the high yield market. I think if you're buying um, you know, the lower portion of the triple C's of the world, you really have to believe that you are going to get a soft landing. Um, if you think anything other than a soft landing, um, triple C's will get hurt. Um, but the, the double B portion or the higher portion of the high yield market still looks pretty attractive. Um, and all in yields there are somewhere between seven and 8%, which historically looks really good. Uh, I would also point out that despite the slowing economy, we're forecasting that you're going to see at least 50 billion of upgrades of out of out of high yield into investment grade in the first half of the year, and you might even see 100 billion total um, for the full year. So, despite the fact that the economy is slowing, there's still going to be more upgrades than downgrades How does in that 2023. Happen? Well, the rating agencies are just sort of behind the curve. So, uh, you know, if you look back in COVID, um, they, they they there was a lot of downgrades that hit then. A lot of these companies then really repaired themselves quite quickly, and the rating agencies said, "Well, we'll wait till COVID's over." All right, well, COVID's you know pretty much over. Um, they said, "Well, we'll wait till we see what the recession is is really how bad it's going to be," and they keep kind of delaying that. And at some point, they're saying, "Well, the metrics are really really strong in these companies. Um, we've been waiting for the other shoe to drop, and it just hasn't happened." 
so I guess we're going to have to go ahead and upgrade them. So they, they've been very hesitant, and the pendulum swung really far to the downgrade side in, in 2020. We think it'll come back to the upgrade side this year. Um, so I, I mentioned 100 billion of upgrades potentially for the year. There's only probably going to be about 15 billion of downgrades out of investment grade wow. to high yield. So the ratio is still almost 10 to 1. Um, despite a slowing economy. And that's because balance sheets are in such good shape. And again, it's all about these companies having predicted the worst and the worst hasn't happened yet. And um, they're they're in really good shape and just kind of uh, preparing for this proverbial winter is coming that just isn't really happening. Yeah, Game of Thrones, winter is coming, <laughs> right? It's it's the most forecasted, as you said. I, I, can't, I got to imagine a lot of those chief financial officers were banging their heads against the wall waiting for these upgrades, huh? Yeah, it's it's costing them money to to not have been upgraded yet. Anytime they still have to continue to to um, to borrow, um, I the area that we found has really been the the least um, kind of uh, recognized by the rating agencies has been the energy space. Uh, there's a lot of energy companies that have really you know completely repaired their balance sheets. Back in 2020, you know we had WTI go negative for you know futures and things like that. But even even on a, in a more normalized curve, it was still. $40 a barrel versus now, you know, 70, 80 bucks. Um, and if you're um, even the service industry, you've got drilling coming back. Uh, there's a lot of areas within the within the energy space um, that are making a fair amount of money. And um, they've just continued to pay down debt this whole time, too. So um, the, the, the focus on shareholders has not been there. And I think that's one of the key things is debt holders that we like. Um, you know, we don't like to just make money and pay it all out to the equity market. And um, the, the equity market has said, Let's get our balance sheets fixed, particularly in the energy space. Let's get our balance sheets fixed first, um, and then you can start paying this back after that. Because we just don't want to take any chances that you're going to be on the verge of bankruptcy like you were in 2020. And so the, the focus on cash flow has been to pay down debt, um, and the rating agencies are soon to follow with their upgrades, we believe. All this talk about upgrades, I was planning to ask you you know, about potential default cycle and what that might look like. But I mean, is there anything you're keeping your eye on in regards to that? Yeah, so you know, the consumer cyclicals are, are still a challenge. Uh, you know, you've seen that the, there's there's certain portions of the of the retail spectrum that we would be concerned around. Um, one of the things is that the high yield market had a issuance down about 80% in 2022, um, over 2021. The issuance of high yield market is picking back up this year, meaning that companies are able to borrow, although it's expensive, they are able to borrow. And with that, we've seen um, the... The kind of the lower uh, lower quality names really starting to rally because companies or investors are saying it looks like this company these companies can actually get access to capital versus in 2022 they would have never been able to borrow at all at any price and now they're able to borrow um, and that'll enable them to kick the can down the road a little bit and so you can borrow um, to extend out your 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 lifeline if you will for another year or two and the economy turns out to either not have a hard recession or if it just starts to have a recovery in the back half of 2024, um, you've made it that far. So um, we're predicting around 3% defaults for high yield this year. Um, certainly, I would say just in general, there's always a greater risk that it's higher than that. I think that's kind of the way the bond market is. Um, but 3% is kind of our, our, our target for the year. Uh, and it, it, But it could actually be um, even less if this high yield market stays open the way that it is now because it's enabling these companies to kick the can down the road and survive and fight another day. When you say consumer cyclicals, is, is that a lot of the names that we expected to have problems uh, even prior to ever hearing the word COVID? Are these the names that were being disrupted by e-commerce yeah. e anyway? 
Yeah, and I think you know, COVID kind of some sometimes gave gave a lifeline in some some instances, whether it was through the government funding or um, just behavioral patterns that, that that kind of changed for a brief period of time. But the longer broad term long term trends uh, for a lot of the retailers, um, you know, you saw Party City recently, um, you know, they defaulted. But there's there's areas like that that um, you know, just weren't going to make it probably <laughs> no matter what, and they they tried to fight it as long as they could, and, and eventually they had, they had to throw in the towel. So let's look globally for a minute, uh, Matt, if you don't mind. Are what about the emerging world? You know, how do yields look there? Are they more attractive in those markets? Yeah, so EM in 2022 got hammered just as hard as this the rest mm-hmm. of us, and if not more, anything China focused. So China was specifically um, the the uh, problem child. You know, you saw um, you know Evergrande, the, you know the real estate company mm-hmm. there in, in mm-hmm. China, um, that was really the the first domino to fall. That there was there was some problems within the property development space uh, within China specifically. Um, and then you also had anything uh, industry, industry industrial wise that, that uh, was impacted by supply chain um, out of China and and through a lot of the emerging markets. Some of them benefited, but a lot of them just sort of um, kind of were very correlated to. Uh, for, to, to China from a risk standpoint. And so we saw massive outflows of EM in 2022. We saw property developers in China go from some from par to 15 um, that were investment grade rated names, um, not household names, but you know, very large corporations within China. Um, and some of those have come back and come back 60, 70 points within the last um, you know, eight weeks, which is just pretty phenomenal. Um, and I would say that those are not really things we're generally would be investing in, but it's just pretty um, interesting to watch. But the, the typical EM bond uh, that that often at times is going to benefit from from oil prices um, being higher um, has still uh, gone materially lower versus where it was a year ago. So uh, we think there's some opportunities there. We prefer to stay with companies or companies in countries um, that are commodity rich. Uh, I think if you're if you're um, on the flip side of that, or if you're if you're a commodity buyer rather than a commodity seller, uh, you may have more issues. Um, and then just overall, that the, the rising um, rising tide of of, uh, of China does lift all EM boats. So um, we 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 buy local currency, or excuse me, uh, hard currency, not local currency EM. Generally, we're not we're not taking the currency risk, but we just look at the kind of the champions in these emerging market countries. And a lot of them were, were just severely punished last year. Um, and now we're, we're seeing some pretty good opportunities. Um, and again, I'd rather have the commodity aspect of things. The Middle East is a great opportunity for us. Um, and, and then we'd kind of be more some Latin, Latin America that that'll benefit from that as well. Where else do you look for yield beyond what we've asked you? So, you know, the, the, the housing market in general with non-agency mortgages is a really interesting opportunity. Uh, you saw um, the, the fear that this that higher rates were going to cause just a massive housing market correction um, really got hit. It really hit the um, the, the non-agency mortgage market, and so um, the agency mortgage market is guaranteed by the you know, by Fannie Fannie the U.S. government essentially at the end of the day. Um, but the non-agency mortgage market, even if you're buying um, kind of the, the top of the stack or the the highest rated, uh, it, it's going to be fine from a um, principal standpoint. But people start questioning, you know, how bad is it going to get for the for the economy? How bad is it going to get for the housing market? You see the home builders, you know, really started getting sold off in the equity market as well as the debt market. Um, and we look at the non-agency mortgage market and we say, well, you know, there's still a housing shortage. Um, it's probably going to have to have some sort of correction just given what mortgage rates are. But all of a sudden you look up and mortgage rates are probably 100, 150 basis points lower than their peak. And maybe the cost of uh, the housing market isn't as punitive as, as people might, might have originally thought. So that's one area that we're looking at. It's not as clean. It's not as um, 
as, as obvious that, it, that it'll be able to rebound here. Uh, but I'd say overall that, that that's one area that tends to lag and still have significant amount of yield. And if you believe that uh, rates are keep going lower from here, it's going to be nothing but the wind at the back of the housing market. So Matt, kind of at the, at the top of, of this episode too, you know, we talked about the talk of the 60-40 portfolio, 60-40 is dead, you know, that that refrain has clearly, you know, eased off a little bit uh, compared to last year. But, you know, in your mind, looking at that 40% and looking at how, you know, investors might want to think about it, the role of bonds in their portfolio, you know, what's your view of that, that bond allocation and what do you think investors ought to be thinking about um, at this moment? Well, I think you need to think about, you know, one main thing is, is why do you want to own fixed income in the first place? Um, you know, I think a lot of people wanted reasonable, steady yield, um, and they weren't getting it for the last decade. And so they, they came up with new ways to um, buy their ultra conservative funds, or they bought preferreds, or they bought um, you know, a lot of a lot of dividend producing stocks in order to kind of replicate that. But more, more than anything, if you bought fixed income, you probably bought it because you had to, not because you wanted to. Um, maybe your company kind of forced it upon you and, and said you got to <laughs> you have to own forty percent. Figure out the way how, and you you got to try to make that that uh, that puzzle work. Um, now what we're finding is that investors are saying um, I don't have to own it, or if I do, I still want to own it anyway. And how do I own more of it? Um, and the pain last year was was certainly was was really tough. And so you know why did you buy it? You bought it for yield. Well, yields got more, and then everybody sold. And so then now that things have stabilized and people have kind of had a little bit more time um, to think with a, with a, a cooler head, um, they're looking at yields and they're saying, I haven't been able to buy bonds with these yields since, you know, call it 2007, um, maybe very, you know, for the, the, the peak of 2008 when everything really, really kind of fell apart. So you got that from credit spreads, but for the most part, you haven't been able to buy it in a normal market since around 2007. Um, and this looked pretty attractive. And so they're buying more. The technicals look really good. Um, and we feel like at the end of the day, you know, you, you should like bonds of this four to five percent. Now, are you are you gonna be able to get back to that six percent that we saw in investment grade bonds very briefly in October? Well, probably not, but everybody says they want to buy more if they get there, which means you probably don't get a chance. But at the end of the day, you know, we feel like you're you're getting a stable cash flow, you're gonna not have to go through what you went through in 2022, which was really, in our opinion, you got a, you know, once in a, a lifetime correction, which is really, really painful. But the adjustment that happened from it provided a lot of attractive yields. It's just a unique pandemic cycle, and we're finding our way out of it, right? Back to back to maybe some normal equilibrium. Is that how you're thinking about it? That's right. And it's not it, you're, you're still arguably being distorted by the Federal Reserve, but in the opposite way, meaning that um, Fed is doing quantitative tightening, they're selling bonds. Um, a normal market where the Fed is not intervening in any capacity, um, yeah, I think looking at yields at 4.5%, 5% or would look attractive. And so when we get to that point, um, we think that people have been really kind of fed up with the Fed um, distorting yeah, their bond portfolio. The they, they, they like that the Fed makes stocks go higher. They don't like it makes that, <laughs> that their bond yields go lower. But the reason why stocks go higher is because there was no yield in bonds. Um, you know, the old Tina market, right? So you right. Tina for a number of years, there is no alternative. But now we're talking um, about Tina's um, sister, uh, Tara, <laughs> which is... Uh, there are reasonable alternatives. Um, <laughs> oh, so so that that so T Tina is no longer longer around. Her, her sister Tara, her alternate personality, I guess, is back. Did you just coin that, or you're borrowing that from? Someone? I've heard Tara out there. Uh, I've also I've also heard BAA. B A A is a three A's. Bonds are an alternative. So BAA or or Tara, but I kind of like, like Tara. Tara, Tara, Tara works better. Tara, yeah. Tina. 
Yeah. I, I might have to start using that and say it's mine. We all steal from each other anyway, right? <laughs> I don't have a patent on it or, or yeah, any kind of trademark. But Jody, doesn't having Matt on make you feel so much better? It such does. Clarity. It does. I mean, we've run through such a long list pretty quickly, right? Investment grade and high yield and emerging markets and mortgages. Is there is there anything that we didn't ask, Matt? Oh, I've got one. Should? I've oh, okay, got good. One, Matt. Okay, okay, so this this debt ceiling thing we're going to have to grapple with <laughs> at some point. Um, yep. A little bit different than 2011 because in 2011 the Democrats needed a, a lot of Republicans to come on board. This time they only need a handful. So maybe we don't go to the 11th hour, but like we did in 2011. But in 2011, Treasuries rallied as yep. it was happening. It was still viewed as the safe haven asset. Is there anything? that could happen or do you have any concern where that would look different or would you still envision treasuries to be the safe haven asset should we have to go to the brink on this yeah we, we certainly hope we don't get that far but um if we do you know our view is that it would be a positive for for treasuries not for credit risk but for treasuries and you know the the government can't issue debt during that period of time so there's a supply shortage um there's a flight to quality um I think a lot of people often say, "Why well, are you selling all your treasuries if the Fed is <laughs> if the government's going to have a shutdown?" You're like, "No, actually, we think you want to do the opposite." Right. Um, so it's completely counterintuitive. But at the end of the day, um, I think 2011 is kind of the playbook for it, and that's the way we would see it playing out again this time. And can we say, "What if, um, God forbid, or however you want to put it, they they don't do what they need to do? Do we even let our minds go there? I mean, you don't want to just, say it out loud, do you? Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, we just hope both sides will, will have enough sense to not, not allow that. Yeah, occur. yeah, yeah. Yeah, agree. <laughs> it's been too, too, too many good things are happening in the economy that we're, we're, we're kind of fighting our way through this inflation uh, problem that we had post pandemic. And then just to have it disrupted by that would be really unfortunate. So, yeah, uh, let's not get ourselves in the foot again. Exactly. Yeah, agree. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Incredibly great informative, great clarity feeling better about the world. Jody seems to be too. Absolutely. I do. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad we weren't banned after the uh, 2022 performance of bonds. So <laughs> it's good to be back. No Rear one's ever mirror. banned. We're, it always we, comes back. We, we look forward, not backwards over here. So thank <laughs> you all so Matt. much. Thanks, thank Matt. you. You've been listening to Invesco's Greater Possibilities podcast. The opinions expressed are those of the speakers and are based on current market conditions as of February 1st, 2023, and are subject to change without notice. These opinions may differ from those of other Invesco investment professionals. This does not constitute a recommendation of any investment strategy or product for a particular investor. Investors should consult a financial professional before making any investment decisions. Should this contain any forward-looking statements, understand they are not guarantees of future results. They involve risks, uncertainties, and assumptions. There can be no assurance that actual results will not differ materially from expectations. All investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Diversification does not guarantee a profit nor eliminate the risk of loss. Fixed income investments are subject to credit risk of the issuer and the effects of changing interest rates. Interest rate risk refers to the risk that bond prices generally fall as interest rates rise and vice versa. An issuer may be unable to meet interest and or principal payments, thereby causing its instruments to decrease in value and lowering the issuer's credit rating. The values of junk bonds fluctuate more than those of high quality bonds and can decline significantly over short time periods. 
The risks of investing in securities of foreign issuers, including emerging market issuers, can include fluctuations in foreign currencies, political and economic instability, and foreign taxation issues. Investments in companies located or operating in Greater China are subject to the following risks. Nationalization, expropriation or confiscation of property, difficulty in obtaining and or enforcing judgments, alteration or discontinuation of economic reforms, military conflicts, and China's dependency on the economies of other Asian countries, many of which are developing countries. Businesses in the energy sector may be adversely affected by foreign, federal, or state regulations governing energy production, distribution and sale, as well as supply and demand for energy resources. Short-term volatility in energy prices may cause share price fluctuations. The 60-40 portfolio referenced throughout the episode refers to the traditional asset allocation of 60% stocks and 40% bonds. Data on the level of Federal Reserve interest rate increases is from the Federal Reserve as of December 31, 2022. The references to yields between 4% and 4.2% are based on two-year U.S. Treasury rate as of January 31, 2023, sourced from Bloomberg. Data on the level of the Federal Funds rate and 30-year Treasury yield in the 1980s sourced from Bloomberg. The Federal Funds rate is the rate at which banks lend balances to each other overnight. References to investment-grade corporate yields between 5% and 6% and riskier credit yields between 8% and 9% refer to the yield to worst of the Bloomberg U.S. Corporate Bond Index and Bloomberg U.S. High Yield Corporate Bond Index, respectively. Source from Bloomberg as of January 31, 2023. The Bloomberg U.S. Corporate Bond Index measures the U.S. dollar-denominated investment-grade fixed-rate taxable corporate bond market. The Bloomberg U.S. High Yield Corporate Bond Index measures the U.S. dollar-denominated high-yield fixed-rate corporate bond market. Yield to worst is the lowest potential yield an investor can receive on a bond without the issuer actually defaulting. References to credit spreads for corporate bonds and high-yield bonds sourced from Bloomberg as of January 31, 2023. Based on the option-adjusted spread of the Bloomberg U.S. Corporate Bond Index and the Bloomberg U.S. High-Yield Corporate Bond Index, respectively. Option-adjusted spread is the yield spread which must be added to a benchmark yield curve to discount a security's payments to match its market price using a dynamic pricing model that accounts for embedded options. References to the borrowing cost of corporations are based on interest rates set by the Federal Reserve. References to forecast of upgrades and downgrades based on Invesco estimates. References to the decline in high-yield issuance in 2022 from 2021 sourced from Bloomberg. References to price movements of Chinese bond sources from Bloomberg as of February 2, 2023. References to the level of mortgage rates sourced from Bankrate.com as of January 31, 2023. A basis point is 1 100th of a percentage point. WTI stands for West Texas Intermediate. WTI oil prices sourced from Bloomberg as of January 31, 2023. The yield curve plots interest rates at a set point in time of bonds having equal credit quality but differing maturity dates to project future interest rate changes and economic activity. The short end of the yield curve refers to bonds with shorter maturity dates. An inverted yield curve is one in which shorter-term bonds have a higher yield than longer-term bonds of the same credit quality. Credit spread is the difference in yield between bonds of similar maturity but with different credit quality. Quantitative tightening is a monetary policy used by central banks to normalize balance sheets. Safe havens are investments that are expected to hold or increase their value in volatile markets. A credit rating is an assessment provided by a nationally recognized statistical rating organization, NRSRO, of the creditworthiness of an issuer with respect to debt obligations, including specific securities, money market instruments, and other debts. Ratings are measured on a scale that generally ranges from AAA highest to D lowest. Ratings are subject to change without notice. 
NR indicates the debtor was not rated and should not be interpreted as indicating low quality. For more information on rating methodologies, please visit the NRSRO website for Standard & Poor's, Moody's, or Fitch ratings. The Greater Possibilities Podcast is brought to you by Invesco Distributors, Inc.